kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Welcome to episode 54 of the Love That Album podcast. Thanks very much for joining me. My name's Morris, and this is the podcast where basically I pick in a couple of albums and we discuss the shit out of them so you never want to listen to them again. And I always like to have a co-presenter to this show if this is your first time. If this is not your first time, then you already know that, so why am I boring you with it? On the line, on Skype from Bath in England, I have the one, the only, Mr. Bernard Stickwell of the Bath Stickwells, is that? Uh, it's the Somerset Stickwells, but oh, yeah, Somerset. Bath. Right, so you emigrated over to Bath. Yeah. yeah. Welcome so, but, to... Just, just call me Bernie, uh, you know, uh, Bernie Sticky, that's uh, me. I, I think I'll do that. Thank you, Bernie Sticky. Um, it, it, thank you so much. We've been talking about doing this for um, for over a year, I think. Yeah, I have to apologise for uh, for being so slack. But, well, um, no, you're, you're, you're a very busy man. You know, I had to go through my people to go through your people, and um, yeah today's date just sort of seemed to fit into both of our schedules so um yeah well, well we got there in the end uh morris so we, um we did indeed we did yeah, indeed yeah. now um for those of you out there wondering the connection to uh, mr uh, bernie sticky now you know that i've um, always gone and plugged and promoted the uh, endeavors of one podcast silver and gold and another podcast the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema because you know they're, they're up and comers so you know i thought i'd like to throw him a bone and just sort of promote them a little bit and uh, uh, Bernie is an active member on both of those pages and also on the Feed My Ears Facebook page and makes me drool with his sizable record collection <laughs> so I thought well this is a fellow who knows a thing or ten about music so um, so you know we, we discovered that we had common love of some artists and, and you've gone and put me onto a few other well I think one of the uh, the people we're talking about today Mark Heitzel indeed um, I think I introduce you to so well so at this time we should actually sort of um, say who it is that and what it is that we're talking about so uh, we'll, we'll talk about the origins of um, of this in a few minutes but yes Mark Heitzel and his album 60 Watt Silver Lining from what was it 1994 should have made note of that uh, 96 I think. 96 96 yeah um, and, yeah it is. and Bill Fay's album of 2012 Life is People and I was really quite excited when I discovered that you were a fellow fan of Faye. So, yes, try um, saying that three times fast. I don't think I can. No, okay, I'm sorry. No, well, no, no, don't, don't be. Yeah, no, there's... Um, I'm sure you're a, you're a far more talented sayer of, of tricky <laughs> expressions than Not I Not at all. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm in good company. Let's just leave then. that right there, Morris. I think we shall. So, um, anyway, look, what we'll do is we'll take a quick break. And then Bernie and I will come back. And which album would you prefer to discuss first? Um, I don't mind. We can do uh, Bill Fay first, if you right. like. All right, let's do that. We'll be back in just a moment, and we'll discuss some Bill Fay. You're listening to Love That Album with Bernie over in Bath and Morris over in Melbourne. <laughs> 
If you like westerns, comedies, foreign films, horror movies, action-adventure, and classic cinema, well, we don't have much of that, but if you like ass, titties, farting, burping, puffy nipples, poop, taboo porn, muffin tops, comic books, wrestling, mustaches, pie smashed on butts, cheese, taking baths, butt sex, gagging, milk, and the American flag, check out the Silva and Gold Podcast. We're the morons your mom warned you about while she was sitting on your face. Silva and Gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. Sticky over there and Morris over here in Melbourne. We're glad for you to have joined us for Love That Album, episode 54. And we're going to talk about starting off the latest album in 2012 from Bill Fay called Life is People. Now, Bill Fay, I guess, is hardly a household name. Um, but I guess with uh, Jeff Tweedy and Wilco sort of becoming his champion and all the positive music press coming from ma- magazines like Uncut and Mojo, I'm sure that you know, more people than ever are getting a little bit of aware of who he is. And, uh, I discovered his music maybe about six or seven years ago, and I went into a, a really fantastic DVD library on the other side of Melbourne, and they happened to be playing this album of um, his demos and the like called From the Bottom of an Old Grandfather Clock. And I just remember feeling really enchanted with um, with these uh, really beautiful little tunes and, and, and his way of approaching singing and the, these gorgeous melodies and this unusual voice that he had. And that's when I sort of went and followed up on you know, his very small, but you know, the rest of his uh, back catalogue. Where was it that uh, you discovered him? Um, I'm sure that I read uh, an article about him in... I think it was maybe uh, Wire magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with Wire. It's a kind of uh, avant-garde, experimental, new music type magazine. Um, And I read an interview, I think, with uh, Jim O'Rourke. Oh, yes. Another Wilco connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where he was uh, talking about the Bill Fay LPs, um, his first two LPs. Yes. Uh, And I believe around that time, uh, both of them were reissued on CD over here in the UK. Uh, on a label called Esoteric. Yes, yes. Um, so I remember picking both of those up and just being completely blown away by them, particularly um, the second one, Time of the Last Persecution. It's, that, uh, that tends to be the uh, uh, most most people's choice because I guess you know the first one, I mean, they both have great songs. The first one has a lot of um, orchestration 
and the second one yes. is more of a, a rock album, which might have been more due to budgetary restraints than anything. But um, you, you don't exactly say Bill Fay rocks, but that one <laughs> rocks as much as anything that he does. Yeah, well, it, it's more of, uh, as you say, it's more of a rock album. It's that, um, you know, guitar, bass, drums, and of course, piano, which you don't get on, on too many rock albums, I guess. But yeah, it feels more in that format than the um, the first LP, which, as you say, it's quite orchestrated and it's quite sort of poppy and upbeat. Um, so, yeah, but they're both fantastic albums. And even, you know, with the differences in style, you know, they're both very definitely Bill Fay. Yeah, I, I remember... Um... When I saw the CDs get the re-release here and the local distributor or maybe it was a company over in England that had sort of gone and put them together, tried to drum up some interest for people who might not know who he was. They printed a quote from Mojo magazine, I think it was, once again, Mojo or Uncut, saying that Bill Fay was like the cross between Bob Dylan and Ray Davies and I can't remember. That's right, that was the the same sticker that was... On the UK release, yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, missing yeah. link between Bob Dylan and Ray Davis, I think yeah, something yeah, like that. I, I thought it was, I thought it was an interesting comparison. I know that some people sort of they don't like, oh, I don't want to have something potted, but you know, obviously they're trying to sell the idea to people who might not know who he is and think, right, well, before I pick this up, you know, it's just another cover. Why would I pick it up? Okay, and I thought it was actually, I like the Ray Davies comparison. I guess lyrically, some of those songs had a good allusion to maybe Bob Dylan's. Blonde on Blonde, Highway 61 revisited some of those really obtuse lyrics. It it um it fitted in some of those cases for uh, those first two albums. Yeah, I, I can see that. Mm. Well, I think for... also it's go sorry, on. Morris. No, go, go I, on. I think also it's it's easier to or easier to sell an album if you just put a, a Bob Dylan sticker on there. <laughs> in a way, I think. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm a cynic or anything, but no, no, that's that's true. So, but I, but I also like the fact that the, the Ray Davies comparison, because I guess Ray Davies is often sold as a very British songwriter, you know, when, when, other, when other groups were writing songs about, at the same time, writing songs about um, going on drug trips and um, uh, having lots of sex and drugs and the like, and you know, what's... What's Ray Davies writing songs about? He's writing songs about the Village Green, and people had often gone and said the same thing about the band. You know, where you know, that they were sort of writing very old-fashioned type songs with just you know it, just in a bit of a rock vein. So um, I, I guess you know Bill Fay has that sort of uh, very British sense, like like Bill Fay does or, or did back at the time writing. Uh, I, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. He is very British. There's a lot of. Um... I mean, one of the songs on, I think it's uh, the second album, Time of the Last Persecution, is called Please Don't Let My Marigolds Die. Yes. And uh, what could be more British than that? Uh, you know, if, if, <laughs> if you're not in favour of the British uh, the weather the and uh, our climate over here, that's... Well, well the, f- the first know, song it, of the first album <laughs> is the garden song, isn't it? That's right, yeah. I'm planting myself in the garden Believe me Between the potatoes and parsley Believe me and I was... There's a great song on the, the first LP um, Gosh, what's it called? Sing Us Another One or something like that Another one of your songs, mate Another one of your songs And it's, it's very much It's all kinds of images Exactly, I was going to say musical Or just, you know, some pub in the East End 
in the 60s or 50s people yeah. sat around singing around the piano and, and but as, as with a lot of face stuff that, that's what i see him as you know there's there's uh, i think on this album that i just mentioned um songs on the bottom of an old grandfather clock uh there's a picture of uh bill standing with with an older gent who i'm presuming is his father or, or his grandfather and and you know really back in the 60s can you imagine a rock star having a photo with <laughs> you know with a family member i mean they might have very well love their old man but you know were they going to put a picture of it on on the front cover yeah, of an album absolutely. Uh, i don't think so so um anyway there's definitely well, a sense with Faye of that uh, just tradition and and family and yes i mean yes. that that's the, the theme that sort of runs through all of his work so well and it's you know we, apparent right from the beginning yeah yeah for sure before we uh, get to talking about the album proper let's for those of you who still are sort of scratching your head and wondering well you know, who is this Faye fellow? Uh, let's just do a little bit of a potted history of the guy. So, as we said, an English songwriter who he released uh, his first single in 1967 called Some Good Advice. side of the single uh, appear as bonus tracks on his first album just called Bill Fay. Uh, so he released that single and it took I think three years though before we got around to releasing his first self-titled album which as we've already gone and stated you know, was a little bit orchestrated some good advice it really has more in common with the second album that he put out time of the last persecution in that it's in a standard rock formation you know, guitars bass drums piano the two records are on the one hand very much the result of the same songwriter you can definitely tell that they're both the work of the same man but they sound very different in terms of arrangement and production as we've said you know orchestrated yeah. versus rock band um but you know the, you know the first one has you know this english so uh, sound the english songs of the focus on the ordinary everyday emotions and Real, I, I guess because of its orchestration, it's fairly meticulously produced and you know, has these string and horn arrangements. That, Definitely, it's got that, um, that sort of epic production feel that you would find on something, I don't know, like the Walker Brothers or right, right. something along those lines, you know. And some of those songs they end up in their demo version of that Time of the Grand... Oh, the Time of the Grandfather... Songs from the Bottom of an Old Grandfather Clock. And I tend to prefer those versions, you know, because they're, they're less ornate and... Uh, far less obstructed by the string and horn arrangements, and which I don't know, maybe it's just what I'm used to because I've heard those demo stripped down versions earlier on, and I'm certainly not against to hearing uh, tasteful string and horn arrangements on mm -hmm. on uh, rock songs, but I, I tend to think that there's there's a sheen on that album that um, maybe tend to take away from the beauty of the songs, but it, it's still an album that I love and listen to a lot because. 
you know, the songwriting is so strong. So uh, it's, uh, it's interesting you, you say that, Morris, because um, certainly the time of the last persecution it has got a very stripped down, stark kind of sound to it. Definitely. Um, and the new album, which we'll, we'll get onto uh, in a little while. Um, when I first heard it, I I didn't have difficulty with it, but again, it's got a really warm production. It's again, there's lots of strings, not so much in the way of uh, horn arrangements or anything, but it does feel a little maybe too ornate. And it took me a while to uh, to get to grips with that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Certainly, that's that's a, that's a valid point. I think he is at his best. Again, some of the best tracks on the new album. It's when it's just stripped down, him and the piano, or uh, you know, in my opinion, anyway. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we, we will come to that because this new album, I tend to think, is uh, it takes for me the best of both the first exactly album yes and. The second album. I mean, this second album doesn't rock, but oh, this new album is it's not a well. I don't know. Maybe a couple of points it does, but there's no there's no guitar solos or anything like that, like there is on time of the last persecution. But yeah, yeah it does. A, definitely there's does. a couple of vaguely sort of uh, Floydian type guitar solos on one or two tracks, I think. But yeah, it, it's not not an upbeat record, is it? Mm-hmm. No, no, certainly not. Um, so, just come back to the history for another minute or two. The um, so originally he was on a label that was like an imprint of Decca. Yeah, DRAM. Yeah, they didn't really seem to know how to plug him, and I think there was something. There was a, a note in the liner notes where the uh, head of this uh, imprint label uh, of DRAM had gone and said um, uh, to I'm not sure who, to to who else it was. Someone who was a champion of uh, Bill Fay at the company said, well, "I don't know who this Bill Fay is, but he seems to be cashing a lot of checks." <laughs> so um, uh, I think that's why they had that reduced budget for the second album. But really, no one yeah. knew how to how to plug him. He was certainly not fitting in line with really anyone who was who was um, big at the time. I mean, 1970, 71 was probably not a great time to start to be singing things like you know, sing us another one of your songs. Babe. Yeah. Well, it's uh, interesting. Uh, DRAM was, uh, as you say, it was uh, part of Decca, and it was their progressive label. So a, a lot of their sort of wacky, freaky type bands would have been on DRAM. Mm. Um, and I think Bill Fay, he was not quite weird enough for DRAM, but he wasn't quite straight enough for, for Decca. Decca, if that makes sense. And I he kind of fell between both um, posts, as it were, you know. So and yet, I think that's why they didn't really know how to deal with him. Well, the strange thing is, though, that like nowadays when you hear about how the music industry works and, and really everything has got to be categorised and everything has got to be formatted. and I mean, I haven't listened to mainstream radio in years and years and years, uh, but that's because I'm not like 12 years old and, and, and a girl. But it's Because you have taste, Morris. Oh, thank you. Thank you kindly, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but really, we the, the image that... I seem to get from you know what I you know read about in the books is that back in the day you could have uh, a, a whole variety of songs on the one station. It's not just a matter about what you know our taste is and that we might prefer one decade of music to another decade of music, but it seems like from what I read back in the day, you could easily have you know a novelty song followed by a hard rock song followed by. Um, a song with you know strings and all that, and no one would blink because that was the day when it was okay to experiment. And you know you might have your your preferred taste, but radio wasn't as streamlined as it is nowadays. So it seems strange to me that 
Dolphe at that time, if if what I'm hearing is correct, wouldn't have been played on the radio because, you know, well, he didn't fit into any sort of category yeah. because it, there wasn't the categorization, or at least that's the impression from what I've read. Yeah, no, and I see what you mean. Yeah, it, it is um, it is odd. I'm sure he would have got some uh, play on um, John Peel's show over here because uh, he played all that interesting, you know, underground kind of stuff back. I think it was the Perfume Garden show back yes, then, possibly. Yes. So, so um, he basically came along yeah. too early, too early for John Peel. He should have re- he should have resurrected his uh, his career in the mid to late seventies, and um, uh, and he, he'd have. Uh, a lot, of, a lot more people would have known of him, I guess. Yeah, Peel would have been all over him then, I think, and that definitely would have uh, would have helped. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. here we are in 2013, and we should be feeling very privileged to actually have a new Faye record here. So, you and I know, I know that you and I were very, very excited last year when we discovered not only our common love of his music over the uh, Feed My Ears or Love That Album Facebook page, but also the fact that he was releasing this new album. So before we you know, talk about the musical content, let's sort of... I take it that you've read the uh, the liner notes and all the story about how this new album came to be? Uh, yeah, it was... Um, Give the, the listeners a bit who, of a potted history of that. Well, as I understand it, the fellow who produced the new album, uh, whose name escapes me... Uh, Joshua Henry. Joshua Henry. There you go. He grew up listening to his dad's vinyl copies... Mm of the first two Bill Fay LPs. And I think, was it around the time of uh, Tomorrow, Tomorrow and Tomorrow? Which was the... Um, oh, no, no, sorry. It's the uh, from the bottom of an old grandfather clock, isn't it? No, I think so. I think yeah. around the time that came out, um, and people like uh, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco were beginning to pick up on Faye and paying, uh, playing cover versions of uh, some of his songs. Mm. Be Not So Fearful, I yep. believe. Yes, yes. Um, one of them. Um, uh, I think, you know, they just kind of reached out to Faye and, uh, it kind of, the new album sort of took its genesis there. I think that's kind of what happened, wasn't it? More or less, more or less. I mean, yeah. when he, when he found out yeah, that people like Faye, had, uh, like Faye, like Tweedy were, um, were, uh, big fans and they were sort of all, all for the idea of, uh, Bill getting some new music out and, uh, you know, Josh Henry and, had gone and approached him and said, "Look, you know, I, I think that you know you ought to come out of retirement." And, and Bill Fay, you know, very modestly went and said, "Well, you know, look, I've, I've never stopped writing music. I've just, yeah. been, I've, <laughs> I've been making all these imaginary albums over the last thirty, forty years." And yeah. Joshua Henry says to him, "Well, isn't it about time that you made a real album?" And <laughs> you know, he pulled all the strings and and uh, you know. Just he said, look, you just leave me to get the musicians together and get the production together, and all you do is you just bring your songs to the studio and tell us how you want them done, and we'll just go do them. And and uh, it, I think it's a real mark. I mean, no one could blame you know uh, Bill Fay that you know he, if he wanted to make a little bit of money out of all this, but really he's completely in it for the oh gosh you. You like my music a little bit. He's got a little bit Sally Field on us. Oh, you re- you really like me. <laughs> you like me. Um, and you know, just to um, a measure of the man, apparently the, all the profits from the new LPs donating to Medicine Sans Frontieres, isn't correct, he? Correct, correct. Uh, that Which was, is um, that just what a fantastic me. thing. It, it is. I mean, look, if if he wanted to, you know, make a few dollars out of it, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't blame him. Why wouldn't he? No, not but, at all. But not at all. But this is a, a mark of. 
all the more so that he, he really is in it for the for the music and um you know he, he's had a range of other jobs throughout the throughout the years when he hasn't been recording he sort of like became i guess a, a little bit of a jd salinger you know just sort of disappeared and did other stuff and he even referred yeah. to it he um, just got on with life yeah he really he really did and hence when he sings life is people it's not just some facetious title that uh he, he thinks oh, i want people to think that i'm this sort of a guy and I'll, I'll just go and sing with my heart open and and people will think that i'm you know this is my angle but when he sings it he really does mean it he I does really yeah definitely definitely there's a genuineness and honesty to him which you know you don't see in well you know i can think of a handful of people who uh you get that kind of vibe from but it's Correct. you know this is him it's what he does he writes songs there's there's a level of humility in these songs that that it just really does sound heartfelt. But there's also um, as we'll get into a level of frustration with the state of the world. And yeah, I mean to be oh, yes. to yeah. be moaning and complaining about the state of the world is the songwriter's trope. Really, that's what a lot of them do. But ultimately, uh, I think he's someone who believes a lot more in humanity and in mankind then he's frustrated with it. He's not saying, you know, everything is completely fucked. He's saying, look, you know, there's some very unnice things going on in the world and, but, you know, ultimately we have the, we have the, uh, we, 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 we have, have the ability the, to, to rise above it, I guess. Correct, correct. Yeah, 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 that's exactly. Yeah. A lot and, of his stuff, it's about how we're, you know, we're distracted by, um, you know, the news on the TV or, uh, you know, money and wealth and, uh, you know, the, the tall buildings with the lights in each window, the city yeah. of dreams where we've got what we want, but we're still not really living, you know, so, it's, yeah, it's definitely. Not, I, for, not for no reason that Bill Faye doesn't go to Las Vegas to to sing his songs. <laughs> I, he, he would go well there. Um, and look, really... I'd but, like to see him in a rhinestone jumpsuit, though, up <laughs> on some bigger stage, <laughs> cranking out a kind of showbiz version of... Uh, I'm no. a rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> no, no, not going to work. No. The, the album, Never going to happen. The album's standout song, it really, if, if you release no other songs from this album, the, the whole album is embodied by a, a, a tune called Be at Peace with Yourself. He's acknowledging you know, humanity's imperfections, but ultimately he he encourages uh, a level of self-contentment, and that's really no matter where else he goes on the album, that's the whole album in that one song. He, you know, and yeah, he's, absolutely. He's yeah. humbly amazed that he's got this opportunity to offer and give something to the world, and in fact, he's so much putting the music first. You know, 
you've already gone and mentioned the Medicine Sans Frontier, but this is that song represents everything about him, about Faye the Man, about what his music stands for. Yeah, um, and just no, absolutely, uh, re- really an amazing fellow, and, and um, yeah, I, I'd have to say. So, okay, you've already gone and uh, alluded to. Uh, the production on the album, the, you know, the the songs that you preferred were the ones that were far more stripped back than um, yeah. the ones that had the the production. I, for me, I think that the um, the songs that did have the production, and really, it's got to be said that for an album that no doubt had a limited budget, it doesn't sound like it had a limited budget. And I find that the songs where they put the layers on, I, it appeals to me sort of a lot more. I mean, maybe the Okay. The, 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 well, not not so much a lot more than the rest of the album, but a yeah. lot more than the first album, because the horns yes. yeah. and the strings on that album they sounded don't want to say Muzaki like, but the, but I think you already said that the the strings on here the production sounds very very warm. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that this album was recorded with. Know, uh, an old desk and with valves and things like that. Oh yeah, certainly it's got that feel, hasn't it? Absolutely. But no, I, I think the uh, the strings uh, and adornments on this LP they're a lot more sympathetic to the songs. Yes. Uh, and so you know they work in that respect definitely. Whereas the, the first LP is just that kind of big '60s epic bluster yes, kind yes. of thing. And uh, when I listen to that first LP, I, I have an image of sort of Bill Faye stood in the middle of this orchestra pit, this huge. <laughs> Orchestra around him, just sort of, sort of almost drowning out the songs. Uh, and I imagine but, um, he probably came away from that thinking, you know, why am I here? Why can't I just yeah. sort of be with my band? And I, yeah. I don't mean to turn listeners who haven't heard the album off the album. It's still really, oh, not really at all, worthwhile. Uh, giving, level, giving, so. giving it a listen, but you just sort of sense that maybe this is not what he had envisioned for that mm. first set of songs. But it is still worth seeking. But time of the last persecution uh, probably has more of an honesty, but. Yeah, once again, this Life as People sort of strikes uh, a great balance uh, between the two. There's a beautiful simplicity to all of these songs, even the ones that sort of you know, have a, a little bit more of a grand uh, a grand feel with uh, with the band, and he's got a choir, and, yeah. um, and there are strings on some of these albums, but it's the arrangements, really. Ultimately, that's what does it. The, the, the strings don't try to do too much they're, no, they're there to no. provide a, a, a background feel but they're not so sort of like trying to be too clever or go all over the place um, Definitely. Yeah. And, um, his, his songwriting so the, the, the opening song on the album is There is a Valley Away 
their villages one by one. And the fury. And it's it's just two chords, really, except for you know. But the arrangement of the band is, it's anything but dull. We should actually also make mention of the fact that um, on this album he is using a couple of uh, the musicians who he used on those early albums, a couple of guys who are on. Um, he has particularly um, Ray, Ray Russell, who yeah. played guitar on on uh, the second LP, and who's just an absolute genius. He's one of the the great sort of. He's an interesting guy because he came out of the uh, the jazz world, um, okay. and he, he was quite uh, well known in sort of avant-garde circles. Um, and apparently, when uh, he recorded um, "Time of the Last Persecution," he just came in the studio and laid down the guitar traps without fearing anything. <laughs> just total spontaneity, and it works amazingly well. Um, and then, weirdly, he went into um, kind of TV soundtrack work. So. If you've ever seen any uh, sort of British uh, TV crime dramas, like A Touch of Frost or something like that, oh, that was him, uh, was it? He did the music to A Touch of Frost, yeah. Okay. So it's kind of odd, but, but there you go, yeah. Well, as, as but yeah, working, he does play on, on several you... tracks on this LP. Doesn't need a new one. Yeah. Uh, well, as, as a working musician, you go where the uh, where the work is for sure. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so yeah, Ray Russell and, and Josh Henry went and got. A bunch of other very sympathetic musicians and it has to be said that part of the beauty of the sound of the band on the album is they don't sound like a session band and you know obviously because no, Joshua, Joshua Henry had obviously absorbed and truly loved these albums of you know from his father's record collection so he knew right I've got to get musicians who will sound like a band not like yeah. you know session musicians and there is a difference you know that's something I, i'm always amazed at when i hear you know a, a, a songwriter and the guys who've been paid to back him up or a band i'd much rather hear something that sounds a little bit sloppy and there's nothing on this yeah. is sloppy but it's they sure don't sound like a slick band they sound like that we're going to play what is needed we serve the song not we're serving. Exactly. I, I was going to say they're very respectful of the songs, aren't they? It all feels very organic and they're not kind of overplaying, they're not showing off. It's just, it's exactly what the song needs, you know? Mm, mm. And, and with this album opener, there is a valley. Um, I don't know if, if, how, how you feel, but just for me, the song just grows more and more beautiful with each listen. It's, it's so simple. Faye's uh, voice on it, it doesn't quite sound fragile, but it's it is delicate and well it's it's kind of uh, worn by age you can hear the age and the, the wisdom yes. in his voice can't you he's in his what his late 60s now i believe so. 68 69 or something like yeah. that. yeah um if you remember like on the early albums he had this approach to singing that where he, he did what i think is called scooping so like he might sing something uh, mm -hmm. sing us another song of your song may <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's not quite—he's not quite doing that. But it's still—you listen to it, and you and it, you know, age has weathered him, but it's very much still Bill Fay's voice. Um, yeah, definitely. And really, you, you listen to him, and he just sounds like some wise uncle who has—he, he, this guy has all the wisdom of the world. Um, the, and the song of "There Is a Valley," the, the, the lyrics might be slightly hippie-ish, but in performance, it doesn't come off feeling that way you, you, it's it's really a song that you need to listen Again, to he, rather than just read on the paper he, he's so honest and heartfelt in his delivery that um like you say it can be a little mawkish and hippie-ish but that's not what you get from his 
Not at all. His vocals, you know, this is this is him coming out of his mouth. You know? it's, it's it's him saying, "Look, I'm 68 or yeah. 69 or whatever, and I've lived this life, and just let me tell you what I believe." from what I've discovered in this life. This is not, you know, just a 20-year-old trying to get laid. This is, uh, you know, this guy, period of his life, who's saying, really, this is what I've discovered, this is what I've believed all my life, and this is what I real, really, truly believe, yeah. and this is why I believe it. And yeah. it's that sincerity that comes through, and that's what, you know, just really draws me all the more towards him. Um, I really love how um, his lyrics, uh, they're very simple, Yes. Um, they're not sort of ornate or flowery. It's all very simple and very direct. Uh, and yet, it must be difficult to write lyrics that are that simple and precise and, you know, convey that feeling and power. Well, well that's um, something that's... He's a real master that, of it, I think. Well, that's something that he's sort of found his way to at this album. This is not an album that he could have recorded, you know, Back in 1970-71, obviously yeah, not because he, yeah. because at that stage he couldn't say this is what I've learnt through my life lived because he hadn't really lived long enough to to make those observations. But even it's you know, back at the time he was it was still I mean I wouldn't say obtuse like Dylan was, but maybe a little bit to that to that extent that he was. But these these lyrics are yeah far more direct and far more uh, observed. Than, um, yeah, those, and he, he has the uh, he has the wisdom and the gravity to you know to make it mean mean Correct. something now. I think you know uh, some of the others. I like he, he launches into a, a, a tune called Big Painter. Light the candle. Please don't speak Open the window Let some air in And the first thing I thought was Wow, this is... Does this belong here? It, it's not... This, this is not one with the band This is one that's with the string section It's really, really dark yeah. Minor it's very chord. ominous, isn't it? Very much so. It, it it belongs in a film. It's you know very very somber and and dissettling and it it, it I know it, at first it sort of sounds out of place on the record, but then when you listen to the whole record and you come back to it, you think yeah, it, it does fit in the mood because he's going back and forth between well, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about how things are in life. But I, I also love this about life, and he's, he's going back and forth. So it, it, you kind of get the, the dark and the light, don't you? Correct. So, and, and this one, it's I, I like the um, it, it, it feels very uh, ominous, as I say, very oppressive. Uh, and there's that great line when he says, uh, "I'm on the run from the news on the TV," mm. which I think just sums it up perfectly. How you know what life is, and how we live, and how society is. It's all just, it's there all around you, it's crashing down on you, and it's difficult to escape from that. Well, and it uh, just conveys that, you know, beautifully, I think. The, the, the sad thing is that, you know, maybe that song is just as relevant today as if he oh, had gone written yeah. it 50 years ago, because, you know, yeah, when, when, he so. was, when he was, when he was um, uh, you know, recording those first two albums, really, we were on the run from the news on the TV, and, you know, as yeah. you say, sadly, it's, it's still relevant. Yeah. 
no uh, lessons learned all over the centuries, he says correct. in that one as well. Yes, and, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I imagine that the, um, the 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 following song on the album, uh, "Never Ending Happening," is one of the songs that you were referring to when you were saying. I have to say, this is sound. this is probably my favourite song on the album, actually, and and to me, I think this sums up Bill Fay and his uh, his kind of philosophy perfectly for me. The never ending happening of what's to be and what has been. Just to be a part of it is astonishing to me. And the never ending happening of waves crashing against the cliffs, the falling seed the wind carries, the never ending happening. Souls arriving constantly. From the shores of eternity. It's this. Um, it, it really is a gorgeous piano ballad, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. It's um him, you know, proclaiming you know this uh, amazement at the potential of you know humanity to uh, to do good. You know, he's, he's singing you know, the never-ending happening of what's to be and what has been. Just to be a part of it is astonishing to me. And. Yeah. Really? I have that written down as well. That that just sums him up perfectly, I think. It's it's not blind optimism, you know, he still throws in, you know, realistic acknowledgments of, you know, for some it's like tightrope walking, blindfolded yes. and shaking. Um, yes. and I suspect that, you know, Bill Fay has often found life real life to be like that. Uh, I mean, he's, he's well. Actually, we'll, we'll talk about it in the next the next song. But he um, he's lived a life where he's done all sorts of things, uh, had all sorts of real jobs. You know, he he hasn't yeah. gone and I mean, he's always been writing. Well, he's always been writing songs and performing songs at home. But you know, he's gone and done ordinary things just to make ends meet. So when he sings that sort of thing. And he's watching the news on TV, and he, he really knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, again, because you know of his age and his experience now, he can actually sort of convey that thing, that kind of thing, right? Um, totally convincingly, because you know he has lived it and he knows. So now, yeah. We, we've already gone and mentioned Jeff Tweedy, and he makes two appearances on the album. One as a singer on uh, a tune called "This World." This world's got me in its grip. Sometimes such a crazy place makes you want to scream and shout. This world's holding all the keys. Gotta break it for it breaks me. Something gotta happen soon. Something to set us free from this world. sounded out of place on a Wilco album. 
to be honest with you. Well, at least yes. maybe yeah. maybe not one of the experimental ones, but certainly on, one of the uh, earlier ones, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe uh, I'm thinking more. Well, yeah, I guess um, being there would have fitted on, and maybe one of the I'm trying to think. What was it? The, this album, uh, the whole love, which was I think the last Wilco album, or, or even um, uh, the uh, the recent album that was just called Wilco, the album. I mean, it would have fitted in on there absolutely perfectly. Yeah, it's and, quite. So I think this one is is. It's got a bit of a Dylan-esque sound to it as well. Yeah, or is yeah, that just me, that. do you think? No, 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 I can, I can, I can definitely see that. That probably yeah. would have fitted on uh, Oh Mercy. I think it pro- possibly would have fitted okay, on yeah. something like that. Um, I should say, for um, for full disclosure here, I, I'm not the world's biggest Dylan fan, so my, my Dylan knowledge is, is pretty limited, so... Oh, look, I, I haven't I, shattered any sacred caves or anything. <laughs> now, <so. laughs> no, 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 but... But what you said, well, you but you have gone and hit the nail on the head. That song would have actually fitted in in that period for sure. Right, um, right. Now, so anyway, so yeah, yeah Tweety sings on the, uh, the song called "This World," which is you know, so it's basically a duet between the two of them, where it's once again this theme of the album of acknowledging that the world can be an ugly place, but it can also be a beautiful place. And also, Tweety appears not as a singer, but he offers up he offers up um, songwriting. The chops with uh, doing a song from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, Wilco's song Jesus, etc. Jesus, don't cry. You can rely on me, honey. You can combine. Anything you want I'll stick around You were right about the stars Each one Is a setting sun that's fantastic. I really love Faye's version of that. It's I, 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 beautiful, I mean, look, isn't it? I love Wilco and I love that album, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I prefer Bill Faye's sad yeah. piano. Um, it, Absolutely. It's, it's almost like it was written for him, isn't it? Correct. It, it, it's, it reflects the lyrics of you know providing uh, personal comfort in, in, in an impersonal world. And Yeah, I, yeah. I dig the Wilco version, but yeah, this definitely has uh, more personal appeal for me. But I've already gone and mentioned for me uh, what the album highlight was, and I'll t- I've got to sort of you know, quickly refer to it again. It's yeah, yeah. Be at peace with yourself. Um, you know, for all. You know, and and there there are I guess there are some religious moments on the album, and you know, Faye seems to be you know a a, a man who believes in God but isn't shoving it down people's throats. And yeah, I was going to ask you about um, the, the kind of because again, religion's a big theme on this, and yes, I yes, think it's spirituality in general. But there's definitely, I think, a Christian bent there yeah, to the LP. I don't know whether I'd necessarily say it's a Christian bent, but I'd say it's his. It's his personal belief. He says, "Look, I believe in God. You do as you see fit." And um, and really, I think that's something that anyone can respect. You know, agnostic, yeah, atheist, absolutely. religionist. It's, yeah. it's just like this is my personal way. Let me get on with it. And yeah. but ultimately, the message of the album is: be at peace with yourself, whether you believe in a deity or not. Um, you're the one who's going to look after you. Uh, its message is simple. This song, um, and then you get the London Community Gospel Choir organs yes. 
and and fervor, but without it being grandstandish or bombastic. I just love this song, and I really, I, I put this on repeat. You know, he sings, At the end of the day, ain't nobody going to walk in your shoes quite the way that you do. So be at peace with yourself yeah. and keep a yeah. spring in your step. Keep climbing up that hill and be at peace with yourself. And you just completely believe him. You know, Absolutely. He, he has these frustrations. You know, he sings about on this world. Uh, and other songs, you know, that the world has got, you know, some really bad elements on it, but ultimately, you want things to be right, you have to look after yourself. Um, so, yeah, this this song chokes me up. Um, yeah, no, I, I can totally understand that, uh, Morris. It's, so what are your other The, the way it just builds and it lifts and it mm. just takes you with it and, you, yeah, you're just kind of swept up in the in the whole thing and it's, yeah, it is a fantastic song, definitely. And, I, again, a very simple song, but just beautiful you know do you know anything else about the london community gospel choir minute i've got uh, the only other album that i've got them on i think is on um uh abattoir blues the nick cave album and when they oh, okay that, that, the opening song on that is um be ready for love and they come in and they just they nail it you know this i mean they're, they're a lot more gentle here but on that they just you know with, with um with Nick Cave, they just rock the house, and and yeah. I think they they just they just must be the the go-to choir for, uh, for I, pop Yeah, artists. I think they are. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know a huge about, amount about them or uh, or you know or their recordings and so on, but they do seem to crop up certainly, as you say, on, on a lot of LPs. I think they are the go-to uh, choir for that kind mm. of thing. They, but it, it's, so. it's just something so classy about them, and, and it's yeah. yeah, absolutely beautiful. Nothing bombastic. Um, yeah. What are yeah, your other sincere highlights? and heartfelt. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what are your other highlights of the album? Um, I like. Uh, going through my notes. Um, as I say, I, I think uh, "Never Ending Happening" is my favourite yes. track here. I really like "City of Dreams." Uh, track six, I think. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's got. It's weird when it starts. I don't know how you feel here, but it's also almost got a sort of weird Jerry Rafferty Baker Street kind of vibe to it. I hadn't thought of that. I'm probably never going to listen to it the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> I've ruined it for you, know. <laughs> no, no, not ruined it at all. No, I, I admire my respect to um, Jerry Rafferty. It's. Uh, it really, uh, for me, it kind of really conjures up a, a sort of seventies urban kind of almost paranoia feel to it and okay. it's um he's talking about how he's the the caretaker in, in your city of dreams and how he's sweeping up the paper cups from between the limousines mm -hmm. um and it's yeah it, it's interesting i think it's 
you know, the city of dreams is to explain this and be my interpretation anyway. But, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have what we want. We've built the city of dreams and he's there, uh, you know, sweeping up, looking yeah. up at all the, uh, the windows and all the people in the windows watching their TVs um, yeah, yeah. and so on. And he's thinking, you know, if you look higher than the buildings that we've built, there's, there's more to this. There's more, more to us. We don't need to be just sat here passively watching TV and experiencing this. That's, that's... you know, we've built our city of dreams and is that all we dream for? And there's so much more there, you know? Well, there, there it is, that theme of humanity on the album again, because yeah. you're saying, have we lost ours? You know, we've so gone and spent so much time building up wealth or, or, or yeah. uh, really sort totally of wanting to get mater- of... materialistic things. And um, yeah. really, let's just, he's not necessarily knocking that, but just saying, well, you know, try and be nice to each other. Yeah, there's, it, there's it sounds more simplistic. To it. it sounds simplistic, but he really believes it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, that that one uh, I really like, uh, and um, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sky above me. Thank you, Lord, for the earth below me. Thank you, Lord, for the love you've shown me. Your son on the cross is ever. Before. I like as well, which is, again the most sort of straightforward, uh, religious song on the album, I guess. Which yes. is, you know, it's, it's essentially just a prayer, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, a psalm. Uh, but again, beautiful and, and heartfelt. Um, and cosmic concerto, life is people. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, the LP is named for is uh, again a great song, kind of like be at peace with yourself in that it just slowly yep. builds um, and again I don't know just the simplicity of his lyrics and what he's conveying with them the idea of you know trees blowing in the wind and seeds being blown by the wind and the, the cycle of it all um, it just you know it continues and we're all part of it mm-hmm. cosmic concerto of people children and parents and grandparents and yeah it's, it's just it's fantastic <laughs> it's fantastic so yeah, well that pretty much sums up, I think, most of uh, what we've um, thought about this album. This is uh, any, any final thoughts? I mean, you've um, pretty you've pretty much gone and summed that up. Uh, well, I, I will there. say uh, a slight tangent here, but um, sure. Bill Fay and particularly this LP and his lyrics on this LP, it, it reminds me of uh, there's a cartoonist, a guy called John Porcellino, who does uh, a comic book called King Cat Comics. Okay. Um, bear with me here. There, there, there is a well, not a connection, but there is there is for me. Um, but it, it's a little self-made thing that he does himself, and he photocopies it and um, staples it and sends them out to all his subscribers, maybe two or three times a year. Uh, and his style is, when you look at his artwork initially, you, you think a child did it because it's not quite stick figures, but not far off. But it's all very simple, very plain, just lines on paper. Yep. Um, but and again, he's a big spiritual person. He's uh, he's a Buddhist, and a lot of his comic books are about nature and humanity and our place in nature and, and what it means. Um, and and Bill Fay makes me think of that with with his lyrics. The way they're just so simple, but in a really simple way, they kind of convey what it's like to be alive almost. Yeah, you know and. Um, yeah, nice. go buy some John Porcelino comics and read them whilst listening to Bill Fay. 
<laughs> I, might, I might actually have to check that. We've got a couple of really good go. comic books, uh, comic book shops in uh, in town here in Melbourne. So, um. oh, not, you might be able to find some of its stuff then. But yeah, it's just that you know, the God is in the details, I guess. Yeah. Whoever or whatever your God is, yes, it's in the trees and it's in it's in the faces of people you walk past every day, and you know, it's it's in you. Yes. So, uh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I think not, that's you know the big the big Bill Fayer. The message, I guess. No, look, that's that's a that's a nice summation. I think the only thing I wanted to add was I just feel absolutely privileged to be able to hold this album in my hands in 2013. Um, I sort of suspect that you know from the last song on the album, uh, "The Coast No Man Can Tell," is almost Bill's way of saying, "Well, thank you. It's been lovely and good night. This is you know." I don't know whether he sort of plans on putting out another album, unless you know someone can twist his arm. But I think this oh, was, I so. it, it was almost you know, like so. a post a postscript to his career. I mean, yeah, look like you. If he can put out another album like this, I'd be even if he doesn't. Well, as you say, we're very lucky to have had this one because we're, it is fantastic, and you know, three perfect albums really. You know, uh, it, look, I'd say if um, you're listening out there and you've heard the little snippets of music that we've played throughout uh, our discussion uh, or you know, what we've said intrigues you then it wouldn't be a bad thing to start with this album i know that a lot of the time you know people might sort of say well start with the early stuff or whatever but uh, you know i'd be i'd be making a i'd be saying it's a good case to state to start off with this one because it has the best of the first two albums yeah uh, or, yeah. or maybe even the um, the stripped back demos album that we mentioned earlier songs from the bottom of an old grandfather clock i'll quickly mention that there was an album of demos that he put out a about two, three years ago called Still Some Light and that yes. did not appeal to me. That was all sounded very new agey, sounded like the sort of thing I'd be listening to in a yoga class. Um, <laughs> all the all these synths and I thought, oh, oh no. No. But then I heard that he was that coming one out. out on, um, was that something to do with uh oh gosh, what's his name? The fellow from Current ninety three. I think it was on his label, was it oh, Dertro Records or something like that? No, no I don't know. Don't know. No. But, I, but yeah, I just know I didn't care for it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, don't start with that one. <laughs> no, no, for God's sake. Um, no, but yeah, look, uh, life is people. Great place to start. Um, all right. See, I think it's it's I think it's Bill Phil uh, Bill Phil <laughs> Phil Bay. It's Phil, Phil Bay's <laughs> Bill Fay's. I think this is his his perfect statement. I think he's he's probably as happy with with this. You know, if you're only going to think of one Bill Fay record, this is uh, this is it. So, but they're all great. Go and buy them all. But yeah. this one is is perfect. Absolutely, it really is. All right. Well, um, I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed because normally what I like to do is early on in the show I like to sort of uh, make mention of the fact that our good friend Eric Reanimator is going to be doing his segment in the middle of the show, an album I love, and you know quite often I forget to make mention of it early on in the show, but I've never left it this late. So here I'm going. I'm going to tell you that. Um, Eric Reanimator is coming up now to uh, do his album I love segment. So Eric's going to be talking about an album from, or a couple of albums from a songwriter called Kevin Kinney, McDougal Blues from 1990 and Down Outlaw. And I really love what he has to say about uh, about Kevin. And the songs really, really appeal to me. This is something I'll be following up. So give a listen to Eric and what he has to say. And we'll be back in a few minutes to talk about Mark Eitel's 60 Watt Silver Lining. You're listening to Love That Album with Bernie and Morris. We'll be back shortly. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. Yes, this is Eric Reanimator with another installment of an album I love. And I'm almost tempted just to say, go back and listen to the beginning of that song, and you know everything that you will ever need to know about the artist. Kevin Kenny, troubadour, punk rocker, poet. Okay, maybe that's a little much. But the lead singer of the band Driving and Crying, who I've waxed on and on about in the past... Kevin Kenny has issued several solo projects, but today I'm going to be talking about selections from his first two albums, 1990's McDougal Blues and 1994's Down Out Law. Kenny started his music career in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where he was in a band called The Prosecutors, before hooking up with musician Frank French to record one album and then going on, of course, to form Driving and Crying in Atlanta, Georgia, and getting caught up on the fringe of that whole R.E.M. B-52's college rock scene. Throughout his career, he's been one of those interesting musicians who takes as much from Bob Dylan as he does from the Ramones. The two albums I'm going to be talking about today definitely fall into the Dylan camp. Let's take a listen. Welfare window, but the tape wrapped around the building is keeping him from moving on, moving on from town to town. messages Beware of prophets dressed like gas station attendants I said here comes Peter, here comes Paul All the way from Arkansas Meet the man and say goodbye We're sooner fast and then he'll die we're having a shindig with the Lord We're having a shindig with the Lord We're having a party down in the barn We're having a shindig with the Lord well, The bus pulled in from Chapel Hill at 9 a.m. my friend She was waiting for me at the station desk the breezes from the gulf and all the stars that flew at night Were all the rage on the front page today 
my name is Mary Hope I'll put your things inside my trunk Across the bridge three miles I'm wandering so there's just a sample of the songwriting and the style. Uh, the more filled out sounds are from McDougal Blues and the more sparse acoustic guitar are down and out law. The reason I'm doing these two together is I think they fit nicely with the kind of singer-songwriter vibe of the other albums covered on this episode. The albums were recorded four years apart and the rumor is that McDougal Blues came about because Driving and Crying's label, Island Records, wanted a straight-ahead rock record, and they gave Kenneth and Kenny the chance to do a solo acoustic folky record rather than input that material on the Driving and Crying album. Of course, that record would be their biggest hit, Fly Me Courageous, but as you can hear, McDougal Blues especially gave Kevin Kenny the chance to kind of spread his wings and do something a little more literary and definitely more folky than what Driving and Crying was doing. While Down and Out Law definitely has a more downbeat kind of a feel to it. That's not to say there wasn't any humor. One of my favorite tracks on the either of the albums is Beatnik Hate Street Kerouac Ripoff in E. And I'm going to play a little bit of that along with the epilogue from Down and Out Law. I recommend both of these albums. Uh, his other solo albums have been kind of hit and miss for me. Uh, some of the material has been better than others. And it seems that these days he works best in the band context with Driving to Crying basically doing whatever they want because they put out their own records. He does have the opportunity to release his more rock-oriented songs that way, but he has, in the last couple of years, also recorded a great album with a band called The Golden Palominos, as well as an album credited to the Suntangled Angel Revival. One last thing, Kenny is one of those interesting figures in late 80s, early 90s music who... His label put him on the pop metal, hair band, hard rock side of the fence, while he was always more on the alternative college rock tip himself. And I think he's baffled by the fact that he was not embraced much more during that alternative era. To me, that's a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, he got his taste of fame. On the other hand, he gets the chance to be rediscovered. And I hope that you guys will all go and check him out, either in the Driving and Crying band format or as a solo artist. Gonna leave now with some words of wisdom, and I'll catch you all later. The taxi driver tells me on my way out of town that the 60s were the real thing. All that's gone now. Only the death of the hippie parade that passed by must have kept going. Because the mecca of crossroads is Asbury and hate. The Wanderer's Graceland Far off from the bay I think it was Count Basie that said Every town in America has a hate Street Except maybe Vegas A full cup of coffee, a full tank of gas An open road and a real good idea Is all you'll ever need so tip your bartenders, tip your friends, tip your mom. And remember, life is too cheap to drink short wine. Thanks for listening. Peace.
almost drowned off the coast of California And started this museum to help the shipwreck Remember, they grow quiet The sea grows colder Drinking the night away And we're back. Thanks very much, Eric, for another terrific album I love segment. And Eric will be back in three weeks for the uh, next episode of Love That Album. Uh, But meanwhile, we're back here on uh, episode 54 with Bernie in Bath and Morris in Melbourne. I like saying that. I really do. (laughs) Bernie in Bath, the city, not Bernie in the Bath. No, no, correct. Of course, podcasting in the bath. Not well, once. as we know, Dr. Zom likes to watch films in the bath. So, you know, it's That's, that's going to end badly, I think. Uh, that's, it will. <laughs> so, we're now going to discuss uh, an album that, uh, well, you put me onto. And I've been much in your debt ever since that. And that's Mark Eitzel's album, 60 Watt Silver Lining. So, I think I will, I will start by deferring to you because you're... You have the uh, the history and the knowledge about Mark Eitzel, so um, please fill us fill us in. Okay, um, well, Eitzel uh, was in a band called American Music Club, um, who originally formed, I think, around eighty two, eighty three. Uh, prior to that, he'd been in a couple of sort of you know punk bands and things like that, but um, he got serious with American Music Club, as I say, in the early eighties uh, in San Francisco, I believe they were based. Um, put out a series of LPs uh, through the 80s um, and into the early 90s uh, and they were one of those acts that critics absolutely raved about and loved um, but they just they never sort of had the breaks they never got the the sales they never just you know caught on um, and towards the uh, what well, would have been I think 91 92 they released an album called Mercury uh, which was I think probably about their fifth LP, possibly sixth. Uh, They'd managed to sign with uh, Virgin Records at that point, uh, and there was a big push on that LP, and they were getting more critical uh, attention and so on. I think uh, Oitzel was voted Songwriter of the Year in Rolling Stone magazine around that uh, time. Um, And yeah, they they sort of garnered uh, some more fans. Uh, Their... God, what's the word? You know, their, their stock kind of rose a little. They were more, more of a noticeable band. Uh, and of course, typical Eitzel fashion, um, you know, if, if you do some research reading about Eitzel, um, he's an interesting guy. He seems to be very good at sabotaging himself. Um, he <laughs> so, had some, so, I think. What, what's sorry, the expression? He, he, I was going to say, what's the expression? He rescued failure from the jaws of success. Yeah. <laughs> I think he spent a career doing that, actually. He's, um, yeah, he's an old guy. He's got uh, some obvious self-esteem issues. Uh, and certainly when, when you listen to uh, his back catalogue, there's an awful lot of that in there. Um, and I, I think he just doesn't feel like he deserves to succeed. But at the same time, he's driven to try. Uh, a, a fairly complex guy, I think. Uh, but after um, Mercury in uh, 91, which was the album of theirs which I, which I first heard, during okay. that kind of grunge period, I guess. Right. Uh, and the, the British music press at the time uh, were uh, required reading Enemy and Melody Maker. 
Uh, and I remember both of them giving uh, Mercury glowing reviews. So I bought it, and uh, to this day, one of my favourite LPs. Just a stunning LP. Um, after that, uh, I think they recorded one more LP, actually. San Francisco came out after that. And again, didn't quite fulfill the promise that maybe they were expecting and that fans and critics and label, you know, management were expecting. And I saw broke up the band after that. Had a bit of a rough time for a few years. Sacked his manager, sacked the band, split up with his partner, uh, moved cities, and he recorded 60 Watt Silver Lining, uh, which is what we're, we're going to talk about now. So um, that's kind of how we got to the first solo LP. Although technically it's it's not his first solo LP, he did record a, an acoustic LP of American Music Club songs uh, called Songs of Love, which I believe uh, you know that one as well, don't you, Morris? Yes, yes, I do. That was while he was still in American Music Club, but yeah, this is his first post-American Music Club solo LP. So, um, so yeah, that's that's how we got to this point, I guess. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that Songs of Love album because I remember at the time that uh, you'd made the recommendation to me about 60 Watt Silver Lining. So this is going back a, a year. And yeah. I was speaking to um, this fellow, Pat Monahan, who um, works in the CD store here in Melbourne. And hello, Pat, if you're listening. Hey, Pat. And, and I, I mentioned to Pat, you know, your recommendation of this record, and he asked me to track down from you, as it turned out, that <laughs> live acoustic album. I saw your face fall to wool, worn groove A child starts up playing a role And now it's typecast in every move They take cold comfort in their touch They leave you laughing high and dry With nothing left to feel and no real tears left to cry What could come around? I remember thinking that was a really raw, stripped-back effort, hugely emotional, and yeah. although in parts quite funny, so his between-song banter was, uh, was quite funny. Uh, and, you know, actually, sort of, in a way, it sort of put me in mind of... Um, Another live album that I really, really love, which is not quite, you know, it's not quite a sad album, but I don't know why it reminded me of um, uh, an album by Tom Robinson, the singer-songwriter singer Tom Robinson, and it was uh, Living in a Boom Time. Have you ever heard that one? Uh, I can't say I have. I know Tom Robinson, but I'm, I'm not that familiar with his no. uh, with his oeuvre, so you know, no, I've never heard that this one. Is, this is actually, it's the one album of his that I actually have, although I am familiar with you know, a few of his sort of like earlier punky type yeah. signals from the 70s. But um, I, I'm not quite sure why. This is little, uh, the, the, the Eitzel live album is a lot more drawn out and emotional, but it might have been the between song banter that sort of put me in mind of uh, Tom yes. Robinson's album. I, I guess that, you know, uh, Pat, well, oh, sorry, Pat had told me that uh, he believed Eitzel is often taking the piss in his songs. And I can think of one obvious case of that on 60 Watt Silver Lining. But tell me, do you agree? I mean, which camp do you sit in? Do you think that he is really sort of sitting there trying to slash his wrists? Or he is sort of having a little bit of a wink and a nod to his listening I, I audience think, with these songs? Uh, I think it's somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as you say, with, with the um, 
the live Songs of Love LP that really captures the uh, the amount of energy and emotion he puts into performing. Uh, and, and apparently live, he's always been like that. The shows are either amazing or just complete nightmares because, <laughs> you know, he just he gives his all and sometimes I guess he doesn't feel that it's enough. Um, but as, as you say, there's that vein of humour that runs through all his stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, a lot of his stuff is, is very black. I was, was going to um, say, it's a very dark type of humour that's interlude. It is, it is, but it, it, it's there. And, you know, he'll, he'll kind of emote and say some really deep things, but then he will sort of upset the apple cart by putting in some sort of joke or self-depreciating <laughs> remark in there. Well, I'm sure um, we'll um, refer to a couple of specific songs along the way. Yes. But I, mean, I, I don't know, I, I think he's just... Uh, you know, he really is a, a tortured songwriter, it's, I think. It's, it's interesting because he's not, um, I, I guess because he sings these songs of, you know, having a broken heart, it's not like though he's like Chris Isaac or or, um, or even Sea Change Era Beck. It's mm. more self-deprecating than that. You know, he's not singing, I'll never be the same without you. It's, well, maybe it's, he's yeah, a little bit. Maybe he's a little bit, but, but he's... A little bit sort of cleverer than that. I, I think um, I, I'd sort of more liken him to being Bert Bacharach sitting late night in a bar, completely drunk. He's um, yep. he sounds like a, a, de a depressed cousin to you know, the early Tom Waits character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, again, with um, on this LP uh, and again a lot of his work, uh, alcohol is a is definitely a recurring theme. Yes. And also was, uh, again, I don't know whether he still is, but he certainly was a big drinker. Um, and a lot of his songs are about bars or characters in bars. And I think he really, um, really subscribed to that idea of, you know, the, the drunken poet and the, the, um, the sort of nobility of the drunk and so on, you know, torture, drunken soul. I was trying to think who his voice reminded me of. And as I said about Bill Fay, you know, his voice sounded... Maybe maybe a little fragile, but not beaten. Yeah. Not completely beaten though. And the quality of his vocals that that puts me into thinking about him is this very breathy sort of delivery, which is yeah. not a little not unlike, uh, say, Colin Blundstone of uh, the Zombies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I found it interesting to sort of think that uh, he goes and writes in the, like the little liner notes in the CD that. Like my favourite song on the album is um, the song called Saved, and he oh, said yeah. in the liner notes that he wanted um, Barbara Streisand to cover. Your warm embraces thrill me. In your arms I fall like a star. Rain or shine, come what may. In your arms the cold seems far away And there's no safety in this world I have no time for good luck charms But I still long for your touch Cause I know I'm saved I know I'm saved I know I'm saved I know I'm saved in your 
Will Oldham, okay. not in, in in that they sound similar, but again, Oldham's got a fairly fragile voice, and he's not afraid to to push it, so it will it will crack and it will break in places. Uh, and and Eitzel does that a little bit as well. You can tell he's really pouring his his heart into uh, into the song, you know, Especially, into his vocals. Well, that that cracking test take place uh, more on the live album, I guess. But uh, yes, it really does. Yeah. But, but Again, yeah. that's probably years of alcohol and, and cigarettes probably <laughs> don't help or do help depending on um, depending on how you uh, how you view that. But I I do think he, he's got a fantastic voice. He is one of my favourite singers. Mm. Yeah, uh, no, a, I, I, I agree. It's just uh, I don't know. There's a kind of rawness and a roughness to it, but it's again it's kind of lived in. Yeah. You know. There's. So, for those of you who haven't had a chance to uh, uh, listen to this album or listen to any of his material, uh, this album, I mean, I, I guess maybe the Tom Waits uh, comparison I made earlier is not a bad one because he's he's going for a you know, late night jazz bar feel, but it's not actually an out and out jazz album. Uh, and certainly part of the reason for that might be due to the choice of um, uh, the drummer who he uses here, a guy called Simone White. And I mean, obviously, you know, drumming is something I like to focus on. And, and White's approach is really for a for far more straight ahead, simple rhythmic pattern. I mean, which it works here, but it sort of sounds like an interesting contrast to what we get in. Uh, I think it's his name, Daniel Pearson, who's playing the upright bass here. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like quite a, a jazz rhythm section. It's, it's jazzy without actually being jazz. And probably Saved is as close as it comes to being an out-and-out yeah. jazz tune. Certainly that track, yeah. It's uh, after he'd split American Music Club, who were very guitar-centric bands. Um, he very consciously wanted to make an LP that was, you know, kind of jazzy. But he doesn't. He doesn't, as you say, he doesn't kind of commit fully, does he? There's there's jazzy elements to it. Right. But um, I was reading that he wanted. Um, I'm gonna have to look this up actually. But interestingly, uh, Simone White. I don't know if you know, but he was actually in uh, Disposable Heroes of Hip Hopocracy. Oh really? Okay. No, I, 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 knew yeah. no, I knew nothing about him. In fact, when I when I first saw the name, I thought, oh, he's he's got a chick drummer. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, but it's it, no, it wasn't. Um, I can't. It was a classic sort of uh, R&B type session musician drummer he wanted to play on the album, but um, I can't remember his name now, it's completely gone. But, um, oh gosh, yeah, no, I shouldn't be looking this up on air, should I? Uh, no, Here we go. Um, 
but yeah, the, apparently the guy was uh, was dead. So. Oh right. Oh, <laughs> so, oh, so, he can't, so he's dead. So next yeah. week, next week maybe. Oh, oh, yeah. that's right. You said he was dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can't get him, Mike. Sorry. Right. <laughs> but no, Simone White does definitely do a very good job. And one one thing that I found sort of very interesting, I'd be interested to know whether Simone White actually had a really small kit or whether this was a requirement from, from Mark Eitzel. But apart from Saved, there's no ride or crash symbol used anywhere on the album. In fact, really, it sounds like the only things that he's got is a bass drum, a snare, and a hi-hat. Yes. There's, there's no well, toms that I can hear anywhere and, and it's only on saved you get a little bit of ride but it's so subtle you can barely trace it but just a little bit there so maybe they sort of went into the studio next door and said to um, I don't know to Oasis oh no hang on 94 oh yeah yeah no, well, yeah, that could have been uh, excuse, yeah yeah, that excuse, period, excuse, yeah excuse me lads you know could I could I just borrow your ride simple just, just for you know <laughs> 10 minutes just Thank- for one that'll be enough <laughs> thanks very much um, well, the genesis of this uh, LP, this is this is kind of interesting, but after he'd split with American Music Club, um, he was invited to support Everything But The Girl on tour in the States okay. uh, as a solo act, which he did, and apparently it was just a complete catastrophe. He had a terrible time. Um, but he wrote, uh, there's a song on this album called When My Plane Finally Goes Down. When my plane finally goes I hope it falls into the sea And then the freezing clean water it will Wash away whatever's left And he wrote that song uh, with the idea of doing it as a duet with um, Tracy Thorne from uh, Everything But The Girl and Ben Watt doing the, the, the you know the kind of arrangements. Right. And at that point they were doing their sort of trip hop uh, LP. So um, uh, most of the songs on this album, I believe, he was intending to write just using loop drums on them and not an actual real drummer. Okay, so, well, that would that would explain a lot then. Yeah, obviously things changed in the process, um, and it's a lot looser than that. But um, that was his initial idea, I think. So that would sort of suggest why the uh, you know the drumming is relatively straightforward and simple, and yes, you know, unadorned. You know, I, w- I was going to say also another uh, musical aspect that I really love about this album is the use of uh, on, on some of the songs of Mark Isham on uh, trumpet who I yes. sort of heard as a jazz composer and a film score and there's a, a film that's right yeah uh, a film with uh, oh now I'm going to go forget everything uh, there, there was a film called The Public Eye uh, that oh, went, the one with Joe Pesci that's the one yeah. Oh, yeah oh my oh my goodness someone else out there who knows the film fantastic but then again it's, I is it sort I'm, of based on uh, is it Ouija the photographer uh, I, I had heard that I had heard that. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a film that um, I've seen so many times and brings something new to the table every time I've seen it. Because I think okay. the first time there was so much that, hang on, who's that guy? And 
but this had an absolutely gorgeous Markish score. That's why I sort of fell in love with uh, okay. with, his, with his music. This very atmospheric playing, and, and yeah. he's, he's like one of these players who you hear him, and if you don't know it's him, but you listen to the music and you think, oh, that sounds like Mark Isham. You know, I, I love a great jazz stylist or a great musical of any genre stylist. Yeah, definitely Mark Isham is is of that ilk, and just his playing here just absolutely works a treat. Yeah. It's interesting you say that when when uh, the, the story is apparently um, they got Mark Isham uh, to come in and, and play the uh, the trumpet, and apparently he charged three times scale, so they could only have him for like one day. <laughs> really? He came in and um, he didn't exactly play what Eitzel wanted him to play. Oh no! So really? Some some of the tracks here apparently the the, um, the the trumpet was kind of fed into Pro Tools or whatever the recording software was, and actually manipulated and changed. So, yeah, some of this isn't exactly what uh, Isham played. Apparently, Eitzel wasn't hugely fond of some of the stuff. He felt it was a little too cornball and cheesy for what he wanted. <laughs> oh, so, I'm a, but uh, I, I, again, I, like I think this is... Cheese. Yeah, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, absolutely. But I think, again, this is an example of um, Eitzel's sort of tendency to sabotage himself and, you know, need complete control of what he's doing, you know. So, but uh, as you say, some of the, the trumpet playing on Save, that little trumpet solo at the end of Save is just fantastic, isn't it? It's gorgeous, really gorgeous. Um, and they, again, I think, uh, is it some bartenders have the gift of pardon? There's really nice trumpet on that as well. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's really another song that I, I think I'd like to hear um, Tom Waits perform. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, that's, that that's the thing, you, you, you listen to this album and you think, Wow, you know, he really could have made, if he'd pushed himself, he really could have made a living by um, pushing these songs on other people. I mean, I, I know he said he wanted Barbara Streisand, but you know, it's not unrealistic to expect that any of these songs could be done by a myriad of artists because, you know, as yeah, strong absolutely. a performer as he is, he's the, 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 the real meat of these is the strength in, um, in, in lyrics and, and song construction here. There's just so much going on. And the, the album's opener, which was the song that you introduced me to, no easy yes. way down. Your toy balloon has sailed in the sky. Now it must fall to the ground. And your sad eyes reveal just a badly. Often, um, yes. it, it's in his hands. It sounds like a Mark Eitzel song. You, you wouldn't it know really that does, it, doesn't it? That, that had been done before. In fact, you know, I, I was listening to it, and it took me ages before I sort of realised. Hang on, that's on Dusty in Memphis. That's a Dusty Springfield <laughs> song. You know, it didn't, that's right. it didn't hit me straight away. And um, you know, the, the, I, and I, I love them. I love them both. But in, in this in this version. Eitzel really sounds like he's been through the ringer. She doesn't. She sounds more uh, ethereal and dreamy, but he yeah. really sounds like he's had a, he's had a hard existence. I mean, this, this song, for those of you who haven't heard it, is about you know, disappointment from you know, dreams not matched, uh, matched, met. 
dream's not realised, and um, that's really par for the course with Mark Eitzel, isn't it? Uh, again, that's that's one of the uh, the major themes I think that goes through all of his work. It's uh, it's wanting something badly and, and never quite getting there. And um, if you do get there, then it's wrong or broken some somehow anyway. <laughs> he's uh, you know he's never satisfied. It's you know it's all about the struggle with I saw I think. Right. Which um, so, and I, again. I guess... uh, I guess you shouldn't be listening to one of these albums while anywhere in the proximity of a box of razor blades and, and, a, and a bottle of scotch. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely, they're, they're sort of downbeat and sometimes fairly depressing songs, but there's a lot of beauty in what he does as well. Sure, sure. I mean, but, yeah, they don't, they're not kind of dirgy songs, and he doesn't sing in a sort of morose, dirgy way. It's, it's yeah, it's, I don't know, it's kind of... Um, but he's certainly not taking the Bill Fay approach where, you know, life has got its problems but we'll work our way through out of it. There there is there is beauty and sadness. So it's it's yeah. that type of beauty, not like, well, life has yes, treated me absolutely. hard but I will yeah. work my way out of it. It's it's like, Yeah, with Eitzel it's you know, life has its problems and actually that's pretty much all there is. <laughs> but there is a beauty in that if you can see it. Although, mind you, coming back to the the song that I've said that's my favourite, there is, I guess, a bit of a touch of um, uh, beauty but wistful hope. So, you know, he sings, There is no safety in this world. I have no time for good luck charms, but I still long for your touch, and I know I'm saved in your arms. I don't think about consequences. I just know what my heart senses. Yeah, that is completely beautiful, and it is a little bit hopeful but at the end of it you just it's sort of hopeful but it's it's he's going to get still, his heart stomped on again yes <laughs> again uh, again another thing that goes through all his work is it's you know wanting to fit in wanting to be part of something uh whether that be a relationship or, or what have you and again with this song you can kind of read it does he is he hoping for the relationship with somebody, or well, is he already I, I think, in the relationship well, I mean, with them? And it's well, I think no, I think you know what that song seems to be about is um, someone he's he's in uh, in a having an affair with someone. So you know this this um, ah, yeah, who, who, no, who is having I, who is having the affair with you know. So once again, he's doomed. You know, he's it's you know, yeah. You, if you read it on the surface, it sort of seems oh well, maybe he's a little bit hopeful. But this is a relationship. This is um, he, yeah. He's having an affair with someone who's cheating on their spouse. So really, he's taken the doomed road. He's taken the road. Yeah, being it's with not going to turn who, out well. Um, it, no, it's 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 certainly not. But you listen to that music and and your heart breaks and it's. Beauty and sadness—that's the theme of the album. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but his, his—I um, don't want to say his lyrics in general. They're um, particularly on this LP. They're really quite obtuse. Um, they are in a lot of places. They're not. Some songs are a, a kind of narrative, but a lot of them, they're not. They're uh, they're quite cryptic and sort of impressionistic as well. You can you can read a lot of things. Into into what he's saying here, which uh, I, I think is one of the reasons it's a really successful LP because you can you can take from it what you want, you know, you can put your own so, overlay so your me, own identity onto it, you know. With, how was that? What he did with the American Music Club, I presume. Th- Not so much. It is again, he'd uh, he'd be a little cryptic at times in American Music Club, but this certainly feels more more so than his work with them. Right. Definitely, and again, you know what he'd just been through when he recorded this. As I say, he'd split up with his partner, 
he'd uh, he'd finished the band, he'd fired his management, he was at a very low ebb. Um, and yeah, you know, there are a lot of dark thoughts and images and ideas in this. Mm. Um, well, let's yeah. talk a little bit about one of the you know, the um, songs that's, that definitely has its tongue in its cheek. I know which one you're going to talk about, mate. Well, okay, so have you have you seen the film? I have. Not for I, a while, I but I have seen it. See, I, I, I haven't. My, um, my blaxploitation education is somewhat sadly lacking. I've, I've seen a few, oh. but not Cleopatra Jones. The people I was with said you were nothing but a fag hag and a dope But the song of your eyes was of the loneliest woman I've ever seen. We talked drunkenly at the bar. I thought there's a sweetness here the world is missing. You just got fired and now you're out high and drunk and celebrating. Cleopatra. You like to get the feeling that he's, he's actually sort of being a little bit serious here, but he's also, but he's obviously being very, very funny. This is a, a nice slice of, uh, of funk going on here. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, definitely. Even if you didn't have the name Cleopatra Jones there, it'd still be a cool song about sticking to your principles when everyone else hates your guts. Um, Absolutely. Uh, what's he saying? Always kind to strangers, but you know, never to look back. You never know if they're about to pour salt into the knife wound on your back. So, yeah. regardless of it being you know, a, 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 a tribute or homage or whatever you want to call it to, uh, to the, I can't remember, was it Tamara Dobson? That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that... well, uh, apparently, based on a true story, he was in a bar with a couple of uh, friends of his. Yes. Uh, and he was uh, talking to uh, a woman in there, um, a sort of larger-than-life, uh, strong black woman, and uh, all his friends were kind of saying, you know, literally, don't hang around with her because she is a fag hag and a dope thing. <laughs> um, which is like, you know, the first line of the song. Yes. Um, but he thought she was amazing, and as, as you say, you know, she, she's who she is, and she sticks to her principles and screw everyone else, you know, which is, you know, that's, you know, that's a philosophy for life, isn't it? But if you don't get anything else out of the song, then you can just enjoy those lines. Kung Fu, just like Hercules. Yeah, yeah, Claire yeah. Patrick Jones, teach me how to kick a little ass. Yeah. How to leave evil men on their knees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, they, if they ever remake uh, that film, they've, they've got to contact them. And, and, you know, that'll, that'll yeah, you've got to retirement. Yeah. Yeah, the character in the song is both, you know, she's a heroine, but possibly vulnerable to attack. And that's, well, that's that's really the theme of uh, all Mark Eitel's songwriting on this album. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, a, a, an interesting and more honest hero. So, you know, not a, a hero that's perfect in every way without vulnerabilities. And, um, and this is like, you know, years before they started making superhero films with... Uh, Characters who who do have very human vulnerabilities, and, and yeah, uh, he he did it first. He's you heard yeah, it here, he folks. Did. <laughs> uh, 
He's a real person, and you know that that should be celebrated. I think that's what he's getting at. You know, kind of faults and all. That's well, it's, obviously. Uh, that's again, the, it's the Bill Faye thing, isn't it? It's, I was I was going to say the thing that links both of these songwriters together is uh, their investment into humanity and and looking at all all our fallibilities. You know, we all sort of like yeah. build ourselves up, and he's saying, "You think you can build yourself up? Let me point out some character flaws." <laughs> Another song I really love is uh, Wild Sea. Inside he's empty, a head filled with shopping lists and politics. And a hollow eggshell kind of frailty, pulling himself back together like desperate wishes into the wild sea. Moans and boils filled with old ghosts and a whole other language uncoiling forever indecent. It's you know, a simple acoustic melody. Uh, the strength here is the lyric, you know, which we've already gone and said that you know, Eitzel has this knack for. Uh, it's not a song that sounds musically like it fits within the noir theme of some of the other songs that we have on the album, but thematically it, it complements uh, it complements No Easy Way Down perfectly. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the ocean here is, is a metaphor for buried aspirations. Um, yeah. I, I love the lyric in those things. The wild, wild sea forever dumb. It has no memory. Just a replay of your complicated amnesty. Uh, as it yeah. rolls over rocks and, and weed breaking your bird cages and your poet's pages and all your drowned words that was just death threats and unpaid debts holy fuck besides, yeah. besides the metaphors that you know the sea conjures up in in movies and songs for buried fears what's clever here is the rolling rhythm of the lyric uh, absolutely just, just it's, like it's... the rolling of the ocean you know he's made the the, the yeah the, the, the words reflect the ocean so it's it's, it's delivery so as well it's it's um it's almost feels stream of consciousness the way it just goes through and continues and yeah yeah definitely and again it's quite a lyrically um this is quite a sort of obtuse and dense song as well and it's and yet you're still again, able you can to read get various things into this can't you they they do get obscure points but I think that you can still, without necessarily going down to finite detail, you can get uh, some sort of idea what he's alluding to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your, uh, your favourite songs on the album? Um, gosh, I like um, I like Sacred Heart, which is the uh, the second song on the album. I'm out walking on Saturday morning without a direction. I'm a dime a dozen, a worthless tourist, a walking target with his eyes stuck on glue and paper. No roof to crawl under, but with a heart full of rain, a heart full of rain, full as the clouds. Which is um, again, it's it's not an upbeat album, but there are a couple of upbeat numbers on here: uh, Sacred Heart and Cleopatra Jones. Uh, I think South End on Sea as well. They're all uh, fairly upbeat. South um, End on Sea, those are pretty 
well, another very dire song lyrically, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's, it's him breaking up with his partner when uh, they're in some horrible, tacky British seaside resort. <laughs> Does that tend to happen a lot yeah. in British seaside resorts? Well, I, I don't know how many British seaside resorts you've been to, uh, Morris, but oh. most of them are, are, are not great, frankly. Because <laughs> you know, I, I, when I think of uh, British seaside resort, I'm thinking of um, the film that we actually talked about on the podcast last year with Zom. That'll be oh, the God, day. Oh, yeah. Yes. And you know, David Essex, you know, sort of finding yeah, yeah. the, 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 holiday, the holiday camps, which I know is a, a big British thing. Yeah, not so much nowadays, but certainly, but you know, fifties, sixties, and seventies. It was, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's horrific. So yeah, I... <laughs> they they tend to be fairly cheap and tacky, and um, yeah, it's all very sort of lowest common denominator. Kiss me quick hats and uh, sunburn and fish and chips and um, donkey rides on that. the beach. And, you know, it's 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 a British tradition, but it's not a, a particularly. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. There's something very unappealing about it. Of course, there's also of course there's also the image of uh, you know, the mods and the rockers beating the shit out of each yeah, other. On Brighton, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's Sacred Heart. I like the um, again, full of classic Eitzel themes. Uh, it's sort of self-depreciating and a lack of self-worth, wanting to fit in but not fitting in. Um, what does he say? Uh, I'm a dime a dozen, a worthless tourist, a walking target with his eyes stuck on glue and paper. And there's, uh, what's the, the line where he says, uh, here in the city of love, no one wants me. But I remember the sweet things we did together when we made love. Yeah. And the way he sings city of love, that there's almost a sneer in the, in the city of love when he sings it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, he wants to be part of it, but at the same time, he doesn't. He doesn't like it. He doesn't feel worthy of it. You know. Although you, you sort, yeah, because he feels if he were to, um, if he were to get there, he'd try to sabotage himself once again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wouldn't want to be a, a club, you know, a member of a club that would have him as a member. You know. <laughs> yeah, Groucho Marx. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I imagine Mark Eitzel should somewhere along the line do a cover version of "Hello, I Must Be Going." Right. I, I bet. I bet you money, Boris, that Mark Eitzel is probably a big Groucho fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a man of taste. Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't think there's any way that we could find out, but I, I bet you he is. I like uh, Mission Rock Resorts. Let's have a drink at the Mission Rock. Watch the Oakland lights across the dry dock. Watch the blue, blue sky Darken like an inhalation Over the graveyard of ships And your conversation It's sad when you try and manipulate me Which is, uh, I saw and a friend sat in a bar Watching the ships uh, coming in outside And, um... You know, his, his friends are junkie, having a bad time on heroin. Um, again, here we go. Uh, if if I could talk it uh, out of you, I would. If I could beat it out of you, I would. But all I can do is follow stupidly behind and watch you walk to the ocean in your mind. There's always more ties that you can sever. Nothing changes, nothing changes, not ever. Which is, uh, that's pretty downbeat, isn't it? Pretty bleak. Oh, you think? 
but but again i think it's a beautiful song and it's you know it's it's kind of it's that acceptance of who somebody is you know they're not wanting to give up they're you know they're, they're a junkie and they want to be a junkie and you can do you can try but if that's what they've made up their mind to be you just have to accept that for better or worse i guess you know and i guess what's this is what saves the album is the the beauty in the delivery and the beauty in the musical uh, arrangements because if if you were to get music that was you know, a, a lot more shoegaze or you know, one chord stuff uh, along with those lyrics i, I doubt anyone would be listening yeah this is it, it's very very dire yeah. stuff but he definitely yeah has an appreciation of ugliness is beautiful well the uh the final track on the album is called everything is beautiful the thinnest rope won't hang you It'll break and you'll be Just another pen stroke For the sunset Or the dawn Or the dawn Little girl, child of X or Y, who doesn't speak? Uh, and, and the chorus goes, "Everything is beautiful, but babe, not you or me." Yeah, yeah. I was uh, going to make mention of that. You, just when you get to the to the end of the album, you think, "Oh God, what else has he got for me?" Yeah. And you think you're going to get a little bit of respite. Oh, with a title like "Everything is Beautiful," They're, oh, he's been having <laughs> us on. He's been having yep. us on. <laughs> no, he hasn't. No, it's it's, yeah. it's some level of irony. You know, the thin the thinnest rope won't hang you. It'll break, and you'll just be another pen stroke from the sunset. Oh, oh God. Yeah, this is, uh, he is a tremendous lyricist. I think when when he's on his game, as as he is with this LP, I, I think there's few people who can touch him. You know, I think he's fantastic. He really is. No, and uh, the the last album that he put out, well, the last proper album that he put out that uh, I went and got, was it last year, came out, I think, not too far after after um, uh, Yeah, says, after we, uh, we after kind of bonded off, over him. Don't, don't Be a Stranger and yeah. I like that equally as much as, as this one, although he put out, he's put out another one that was only available on tour called Glory and, Yeah uh, It's a little hit and miss, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much so, um, but then again I mean, maybe, I guess I find that appealing that you know, he can be not not perfect you know it's, it's like well i'll just yeah. keep doing what i'm doing but you know these those two albums alone plus a live album are enough for me to say right i'm i'm going to keep up with them and I, I don't remember if it was you that said it or i read it on the web somewhere that there were a few albums in his back catalog that are not necessarily as good as 60 watt silver lining and maybe yeah if you're, if you're only a casual um, or fan should be avoided certainly is as far as his solo lps go um this one is tremendous uh, the next one, uh, which is called Caught in a Trap and I Can't Back Out Because I Love You Too Much Baby. Not quite sure where he got that title from. But, uh, th that one's pretty good. Um, but after that, they, they tend to be fairly hit or miss. Uh, he did an LP with uh, Peter Buck from R.E.M. Oh, right. Uh, which is, uh, it's not great, but there's a couple of real cracking tracks on there. Um, but it doesn't quite hang together as... Um, uh, you know, as, as a whole LP. Uh, he did an LP called The Invisible Man, which was him experimenting a little with, uh, you know, kind of um, synthesizers, drum machines and so on. It's kind of his electronica album. Uh, again, which is fairly hit and miss. 
Um, he did an LP of uh, Greek songs, I believe. Really? Yeah, which is um, That'd be interesting. Can't, can't remember what that one's called, but um, so like what traditional Greek songs or? Uh, gosh, what is that called? That is ooh, music for courage and confidence. I think. Okay. I think it might be cover versions of songs in a sort of Greek Greek style. I think in that or. Uh, I'd be interested in hearing that. Yeah, which is, uh, I've got to admit, that's one I've not heard. Okay, well... I did an LP in 2005 called Candy Ass, which is, uh, <laughs> again, self-depreciating to the uh, to the max, isn't it, that? And also, maybe that's the Greek one, Klamath? Oh, well, you find no, that it's out. Not. Post it on the page. We'll, um, yeah, I, I'll do a bit of research notes. on that, and uh, I know he did one LP, which is uh, in that kind of... Uh, format so i will um yeah i'll do a bit of research all right okay look so, i think uh, do you have any final thoughts on the album i think i've sort of um, all my thoughts it's uh other than that it's great you should check it out and um oh, and what's, a, what's this, a crucial what's a crucial american music club either was it mercury is there anything else that you mercury is uh mercury is probably their most sort of produced lp it's produced by mitchell Froome, and uh he really went oh, to town nice. on it I like, I like uh, uh, Mitchell Freak's work. But as, uh, yeah, as far as kind of textures and instruments uh, and so on go, it's it's really good. And some of uh, Artisol's best ever songs, I think. Wow. Uh, and also uh, California, which I think was their third LP. No, I heard that's I heard a few of those songs. That, that most of the album's been posted on YouTube. So yeah, I, you I can find it in various places. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's streaming in its entirety on Last FM, along with a few other... Um, Oh, it's so American Music Club LPs and uh, a couple of his LPs are on Spotify as well, if uh, if that's your bag. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, certainly California and uh, Mercury, I would uh, I would recommend. Okay. And of course, uh, I, I didn't mention, but he did reform American Music Club in the um, early two thousands, two thousand and four. Yep. He put out an LP called Love Songs for Patriots with American Music Club. Uh, and then they did an album in 2008 called The Golden Age, which is, a, that's a good one, actually. That's a real return to form. But, uh, yeah, if you're going to dip your toe in American Music Club, Mercury is the one to uh, to start with, I think. Done. I'll go order a copy of that. I think you should, Morris. I think you'd love it. Well, uh, thus far, you've not led me astray anywhere with any of your uh, recommendations. <laughs> I think I've, you know, as, as I keep saying, you know, people like you and Eric Reanimator and Tim Merrill and Dave McLemore, uh, uh, you're... you're costing me money with all these great musical <laughs> recommendations and that is part of the reason why i have this podcast get to uh, get well, to i do to get it. a, a um, I, i'll probably expect a check from my soul in the next uh, couple of months then. <laughs> I, I think you should be waiting uh, more for uh, for babs to be recording saved for that check <laughs> all right anyway um i think we've come to the end of uh, another episode of love that album and it's been an absolute cracker. We've been, you know, as, as I said earlier on in the show, been planning this for a year, and I've I've really enjoyed it. It's been really terrific, finally to speak to you, uh, Mr. Uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, Morris. I, I'm I'm sorry it's taken so long, but uh, it's been a real privilege to do this. Um, and, and it's been great. I've really enjoyed it, and hopefully, um, we can do it again sometime if you want to have you me back. I'd, I'd love to come you back are, at some you point. You are welcome back anytime, sir. And, so, uh, and no, I believe also you're good friends with uh, Jason Statham, so please give him give him my regards. And uh, yeah, I can. I, I might even see if I can get him to call in for you if you like. Well, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to know what Jason listens to, and and you might get some insight. What does? I, I believe you're also good mates with Sly Stallone. 
You know, uh, well, you know I, I know people. somebody who knows him, put it that way. Oh, right, okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd yeah I can find out. I'd, I'd see if I can get Sly to call in as well. Beauty. We'd love to get some feedback. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be, <laughs> be able to go on Facebook and say, Sylvester Stallone, he listens to love that album. He, that'd, that'd be Greatest good. music podcast of all time. Love that album. This is Sylvester Stallone. Oh, that comes dangerous, scarily. Sounds That's like pretty it. close, actually, uh, Maurice. Yeah. I'm a bit worried. I don't want to get sued for uh, for copyright. Uh, well, that, that could be an alternate career as a, a Sylvester Stallone impersonator. There, for oh, there's, there's there's big money in that, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Look, I think at this cool. stage we'll um, we'll sign out. I won't be doing a um, uh, pleasantries this time round. So I should be talking about what we'll be doing on Love That Album in the next episode, Love That Album 55. So I'll be welcoming to the show another first-timer. We'll be having Wendy Freeman. She is the host of the excellent Double Page Spread podcast about comics and also the Trashy Trio podcast, which I sometimes wonder whether Silver and Gold ought to be suing it because they're really impinging on their territory, you know, talking about sleazy, grimy films. I mean, I I think that they give Zom and Loaf a run for their money. It almost makes Silver and Gold look G-rated at times. Have you, have I'm amazed that a girl knows about some of the things they talk about on there. It's um, oh, it's shocking, fil- really. She's filthier than it, than any of them. She is filthy. Yeah, yeah. She's a classy lady, but also very, you know, filthy very, but classy. Uh, it's 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 a it's a combination I truly admire. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and a, a, a great drummer and a great lover of power pop, uh, which is something else that I admire. So it's in that realm that uh, I've invited her on to uh, love that album. So we'll be talking about a couple of uh, Power Pop albums. We'll be talking about In Colour by Cheap Trick, which was um, something that she was very enthusiastic to talk about. And I've introduced her to, uh, well, a band which no longer exists, but came from Melbourne, a Power Pop outfit called The Ice Cream Hands. And we'll be talking about their album, Sweeter Than The Radio. And I'm very excited because I've managed to get an interview with the lead singer and main songwriter of the Ice Cream Hands, Charles Jenkins, and he'll be uh, we'll, we'll be having a bit of an interview with him on the show. I think we might sort of have some of the interview on the show, but I might put the whole interview out as a separate bonus episode because we spoke for quite a fair amount of time and had a lot of interesting stuff to say. So um, anyway, love that album, Fifty Five Proper. We'll be with Wendy talking about Cheap Trick and the Ice Cream Hands. I look forward to your company. Thanks very much for joining me on episode 54, uh, Listenership and Mr. Bernie Sticky. So anything else that you wish to plug or talk about? Any any um, uh, events, anything coming up potentially? Nothing really at the moment. There might be something in the pipeline, but um, okay. I probably shouldn't say too much about that until things are a bit more concrete. So um Keep your ears peeled, and uh, you know I do crop up uh, ringing up with silly um, voicemails and stuff on silver and gold, <laughs> and I'm on the Facebook pages as well. So um, you know, say hi if you see me. Indeed. Well, thanks very much. It was really terrific uh, discussion that we had about these two albums, and thanks so much for pointing Mark Eitzel my way. You're welcome, Morris. Was, thanks for having me. It's been no, great. Terrific. I look forward to uh, having you back on very soon. So uh, cheers, everyone. We'll be back in three weeks with Love That Album Fifty Five. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.